Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studios in Atlanta, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Now, here's your host, Joe Moss. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business podcast on Business Radio X. Our numbers continue to grow. Uh, The show is sponsored by Embassy National Bank. We discuss topics designed to help small business succeed because Embassy is very proud of what we do to try to help small business. I am Joe Moss, your moderator and president at Embassy National Bank, and we come to you live from the global broadcast studio of Subaru of Gwinnett, a very nice facility, as you can see on on the um, video. Um, as I go through this, just please remember that Embassy National Bank is a nationally chartered financial institution located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Our deposits are insured by the FDIC. So with that, let's get on to the show. We've got, a, I believe, a really interesting topic and a very great group to talk about. We're going to be talking to Alfreda Ortiz and Elaine Lutz of the Job Creators Network, which is a nonpartisan organization founded by entrepreneurs like Home Depot co-founder Bernie Marcus. So, Alfredo, welcome. Thank you, Joe. Elaine, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, Alfredo, you start. Tell us about Job Creators Network. Well, Job Creators Network, Joe, as you mentioned, is a nonpartisan national uh, pro-business advocacy organization that was founded by Bernie Marcus. Hard to believe, but Bernie Marcus started with one store here in Atlanta. So Bernie was a small business owner, and he swears today that if he ever tried to recreate Home Depot today and the success he had today so far, he would never be able to do it in this environment of overregulation and especially overtaxation as well. And so Job Creators Network was founded by him in basically in response to his concerns for small business owners that wouldn't be able to repeat the success that he's had with Home Depot. You know, that's an incredible statement. I've heard him say that uh, at, at a luncheon one time, and I went, you know, unfortunately, he's probably right. Elaine, what is your role with the comp- with the uh, group? I'm the chief marketing officer. Okay. And Alfredo, you're the president. I'm the president Credit? CEO. That's okay. correct. And um, how long has the organization been around? The organization, Joe, was around for about three years. I've been uh, at the head of it for about two years. Um, and really, these past two years, we've really tried to push the business prin- principles of free enterprise uh, in a nonpartisan fashion. And I think the success we've seen so far shows that we can have this conversation about small business, the challenges of small business, and then the different types of uh, things that we can do to help small business owners educate their employees through our employer-to-employee education program. Yeah, and I, I like how you say free enterprise. Uh, That's correct. Because I think what you have found is throughout the U.S., and Elaine, you may want to support this, um, majority of the people support the concept of free enterprise. That's right, they do. And the majority of the people understand that free enterprise is what gives us the economic freedoms we have um, in this country. And, uh, you know, for instance, Bernie believed that his employees needed to understand um, how the policies in, in Washington affected um, not just, you know, his business, but their livelihoods. And so he spent time during the 30 years he ran the Home Depot educating them about these issues. Um, you know, companies spend 
millions of dollars a year on their training programs, whether it's sexual harassment or safety or products. Right. This is about being a well-informed citizen. This is training you to understand government policies. And I've heard, uh, Alfred, I've heard you say, and I think I heard uh, at the luncheon that the the number one thing that they want this to do is to allow, give employees the information they need to cast an intelligent, well-informed vote. That, that That's correct, Joe. We're, we're not concerned about who they vote for, whether they vote left, center, right. We're just concerned that, you know, we want to make sure that they have the information that is required to make that intelligent vote and to actually vote. Um, we're very excited. You know, we did a couple of tests uh, in regard to this program with some employers down in Florida, for example, and the, the information that came back was it's very effective in informing them on their vote. And that's very important. We can do this in a nonpartisan fashion. So again, employers can help employees with that. Uh, with that, and you know, employees are actually looking for this information from their employers. But employers either one don't know how to do it effectively, or just don't have the time or the budgets to be able to go out and do this. Or they don't know how to do it in a way that's not considered that is considered nonpartisan. That's correct, Joe. That's correct. And we've brought in some fantastic support from the outside to make sure that we do this in a nonpartisan fashion, but again, it's still based on the principles of free enterprise, or we even call it now the opportunity economy. Elaine, I'm sure you've seen some of the interviews on the street, segments that, that people have done. Uh, I know that um, Jay Leno used to do some, and uh, uh, I heard some of the radio shows that have done it. I'm just blown away how ignorant the American people are about Washington and politics. Well, there's so much noise coming out of Washington and, and, you know, frankly, the politicians have a spin on everything from every direction. So I can see why the public would want to tune things out. But, you know, the surveys show that employees trust their employers. Mm -hmm. And when their employers are explaining them to them how a policy is going to impact their business and ultimately the employee's job and paycheck, they trust them. And, and Elaine, that trust, by the way, is incredible, right? I mean, on a three-to-one basis, employees trust their employers versus politicians, and a two-one basis versus the media. So they really do trust and are looking for their. And employers. doesn't that number get larger in a small business environment? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you can kind of expect that as the the larger the business, the larger the corporation. There's some level of distrust. I mm -hmm. think that happens, but especially in the small business environment. They really trust those small business owners, the entrepreneurs that started those businesses to really help them understand uh, the challenges that exist with these regulations. The, uh, the last uh, heard on the street thing that I saw was somebody walked up and said, what do you think about the fact that Donald Trump wants to make Obama his running mate? And the, the respondent said, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I'd heard that a couple of weeks ago, and I, and I really like that idea. So it's amazing how little information people grasp on to make such a very important vote. Right. I, I'm just amazed by that every year when I hear some of these right, things. Right, right. No, that's absolutely right, Joe. And I think that's why, you know, the Employer to Employee Education Program, the Job Creators Network, puts out. Um, really tries to think about all those key elements that really there's very little understanding on. I know, Elaine, there's a couple great videos that are on our uh, site, which is informationstation.org, mm -hmm. that folks can actually find some of these videos. And these videos address some of these things like the unemployment rate, for example. We hear about how great the unemployment rate is, but when you really dig back and kind of peel back the onion, it really isn't as great Let's as it is. Let's jump on that right sure, now. Sure, absolutely. Because um, I... 
you've got a couple things going on. For example, and I'll put this up. Um, you've just recently um, published uh, the state of American small businesses and the hurdles they face. And I want to show this to everybody. And um, you, they can. Is this available on a PDF on a it, website? It is on the website, um, Elaine. If you want to talk to that, where it's available. Our campaign website is at defendmainstreet.com, and the name of the campaign is Bring Small Businesses Back. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about the un- unemployment because our people define as the participation rate, which right. is the actual number of workable uh, Americans that are capable of work that have jobs. And that right. number is at, is it, is it an all-time low or close to an all-time low? But it's a staggering number. It, it's a staggering number. It is almost at an all-time low. It's still probably in Jimmy Carter years, uh, to be quite honest. And that is very concerning. So even though the unemployment rate is at about the hovering 5% or so, 5.1% right now, the labor force participation rate is really the real number we should be looking at because those are the folks who want to be fully employed that really aren't. Okay, and so the number of people that are, that are fully employed compared to the number of folks that are not, that number is what, 65%? Yeah, we're actually even below that. I think we're about 62, is it 62.8? It's believe just is below 63. Yeah, and then we have 68. a lot of, uh, and the, un- the underemployed number is even larger, and that would be defined as the number of folks that have had to reset coming out of the recession but have not gotten back to where they were before. Right, right. Well, unfortunately, one of the unintended consequences of the Affordable Care Act is that more people that want full-time jobs aren't able to find full-time jobs or are now part-time employees. That number is never really discussed. Again, those full-time employees or, or potential workers that are looking for full-time jobs mm-hmm. but can't and earn part-time, those numbers really aren't discussed. And that's very concerning because we're turning into a part-time economy. And that's where, when we talk about income inequalities and stuff like that, part of that is really driven by the fact that we're in much more of a part-time economy than we ever have been. Right. And they've done as much as they can to keep uh, the part-time economy from growing, but it's just a fact of life. I mean, it's just human, human nature, economic law, if you will, that an individual running a business is going to try to maximize their profit margin and doing what they can to get more efficient. I saw a video about uh, the implication of the uh, McDonald's that has to pay $15 an hour. Um, and what they have now is all machines and there are no employees. And now the, and the question was, do you understand it? Do you get it now? Right. So, I mean, it's pretty interesting what happens that you can't, there's something about the economic will that you just can't regulate. Right. It will always, always find a way. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, the, the government can regulate and mandate a lot of things, but they can't mandate a business to stay open. Correct. Right. And I think we saw that in some of the closings with Walmart, economically just doesn't make sense to maintain some of their stores open in some areas. And unfortunately, some of those areas are more urban that employ urban youth. And so all that, the unintended consequence again, is that we're going to force youth unemployment to continue to rise, which is already at very alarming levels. Right. Well, I go out of the recession that you talk a little bit about the number of small businesses created and how that has started to decline. And in fact, there was a year where more closed than some opened. Yeah, the most recent data available is about two years old. So when you look at the overall for the last five years, there's a net 
um, loss in overall businesses opening versus closing. Um, when we launched just two weeks ago, the Bring Small Businesses Back campaign, we did a national survey of 400 small businesses. And um, those business owners identified um, taxes and regulations mm-hmm. um, as the top two um, issues hurting their business, hurting the viability of their business. And only one in five actually have any plans to do any hiring this year. And I think lack of access to capital was another um, main issue that they identified, right? One lack of, of access, yep, was one of the top well, issues and, also. Um, hey, as someone that makes money, uh, providing capital to small business, I can tell you we're frustrated with that too, uh, because on our side, um, on our side, if a small business person could sit in on a um, regulatory examination where they go through every single one of our loans and grill us for thirty minutes, they would then understand what the bank is up to. Um, so it's a difficult. On both sides, it's it's it's, it's very difficult, right? Um, yeah, we just uh, I I just uh, was with Warren Stevens a couple of weeks ago, who the Stevens uh, family was involved with uh, basically beginnings of Walmart, and they mentioned some of the initial IPO offerings and stuff that where they raised the five million dollars in this environment today, they could never do that with a lot of the regulations put forth by Dodd Frank, mm-hmm. and that's a concern in terms of from a small business perspective, right? That access or lack thereof of capital because of the decline of the community bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that whole kind of too big to fail type mentality has really hurt our small business owners. Yeah, we could do a whole segment on the, the decline of the community bank, but I can tell you that uh, it's tough for us. It really is. But right. yet we're so important to the economy. Right. Um, and it, and it, it just gets downright frustrating sometimes. Right. right. Well, Joe, our survey actually showed that three out of five small businesses say it's difficult to get loans. Um, loans less than a million um, in volume have dropped significantly since the recession. Mm-hmm. So in spite of we heard what we heard from the, at the State of the Union a few weeks ago, the state of small businesses is not good. And, and I, would, I would support that. Most of the ones that I deal with and I see are pretty nervous right now. They really mm-hmm. don't know, even though, you know, we do a lot of work within the hotel industry and, and the smaller hotels are... Um, the Mod Pa Hotel, the revenues are up, but then they just get hit with that Georgia hotel tax, right. which is two bucks a night, irrespective of your room rate. So someone who's charging fifty bucks a night, right, two dollars comes right out of that, right. And and uh, those margins are tough. Um, and uh, you would think that they would feel pretty good about things, but they're kind of always now looking over mm-hmm. their shoulder. What's coming next? That's What's right. coming next? That's right. And I think, again, to reiterate the number that Elaine, you just mentioned, basically one out of five small business owners are planning on actually hiring new individuals this year. I mean, that's a, an alarmingly low uh, level of hiring. Well, let's, let's flip it and let's talk about the positive. What do you all hear about the spirit of the small business person? Is it is it uh, still there? Is the fire burning? Does it want to burn? Um, well, 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 you know, it's it's amazing, Joe. I mean, you hear a lot of conversation out there about making this country great again. Um, in fact, from some of our folks that are running for office, right, we hear a lot about that. But really, this th- this country always has been great. And I think what has always let this country be great is our entrepreneurs or small business owners, mm-hmm. right? They have a spirit that, that that never really quits and always fights. And that's the beauty of this country. The thing is, is that we just haven't allowed the environment, right? We're, we're not, we're not, we, we don't, ha- we haven't created that environment that really allows small business owners to thrive and have the vitality 
that they once had before. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're holding back and they're pulling back. But again, this country's always been great. What really needs to be fixed is the government. And that is the issue here. This is On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And we're talking to uh, two principals from the Job Creators Network, Alfredo Ortiz and Elaine Lutz. And uh, Job Creators Network was created right here in Atlanta. It's the brainchild in, of uh, Bernie Marcus, um, who is just a local hero in this town for all the work that he he's done. And, um, and uh, a real good discussion of empowering small business and individuals to make really good informed decisions. Talk about this new campaign that you've got going on. Sure, absolutely. Elaine, do you want to? Why don't you do that? Yeah. Well, we're actually profiling what we call what we're calling our faces of small business, identifying entrepreneurs around the country who can talk about uh, how they started their business. Um, these are uh, immigrants, um, second and third generation immigrants coming. Um, one of them uh, is running a restaurants for the family. Um, another one is running hotels with his family. These are small business people who are running their businesses every day. They don't have lobbyists in Washington to speak for them, but they are um, fighting with uh, local government regulations, federal government regulations, and they're trying to grow their business. And many of them are in spite of all of that, but why have so many barriers in the way? Um, we want to help them, one, um, be a, a foghorn for them, if you will, and, and let them, you know, put their voice out there. But we also want to come up with solutions um, that folks can get behind to help remove some of those barriers. Do you want to add something? Yeah, Joe, up? I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, we hear, for example, on taxation, we hear how much, you know, about the corporate tax and these larger corporations. But one of the main issues really is our small business owners, right? When you look at those businesses, for example, that or let's say a million dollars and less, that's about 93% of small businesses. If you go up to a million and a half, that's almost 99% of the small businesses out there, right? And they're overtaxed, mm -hmm. right? And we need to give some tax relief to our small business owners that really have all the other elements too that they're trying to battle in terms of overregulation. In some cases, you know, the minimum wage push. I mean, this is a very, very tough environment for them to continue to grow their business. Tax relief, I think, is one of the most simplest, easiest, and probably most effective and quickest to be able to help them, right, so that they can invest back in hiring, R&D, planned property equipment, right? I mean, those are all the different pieces that they need to continue to go back, but they need some kind of relief to be able to do that. And that's a big, it's a big issue because most of the, sub, most of the uh, small businesses are probably subchapter S companies. That, that's correct. That the, the profits are taxed at those personal rates. And, um, and they're very quickly up at the very highest marginal rate uh, the, the, and if that, they start that is, to succeed. That's right, Joe. And that is the biggest thing. And so one of the things that we're looking at is trying to propose some kind of tax relief for those small businesses, about a 10% rate, for example, of those businesses up to about a million dollars and 15% for a million to a million and a half dollars. Um, we believe that will really help these small business owners to start investing back in their businesses and frankly, have that opportunity to say, you know what, there is some question in terms of where regulations are going, where potentially the minimum wage, but it gives them some hope that there is an ability to be able to fund some of that uncertainty, at least for some kind of a tax relief. I know Embassy National Bank is working hard to try to in, uh, increase uh, the number of uh, stakeholders that you can have in a subchapter S company. You know, right now it's limited to 100 owning units and we're trying to get that number bumped up to 500 so that we you we don't have to click over all these small you know they have to have access to capital and you go out and raise more then all of a sudden you lose your subchapter s and then you're in double taxation with a right. c corporation so 
we're we've been working hard on that trying to get that through right right unfortunately joe we seem to be in this environment right where a business owner in many cases almost kind of quote unquote guilty before you know assumed innocent in terms of what you know they're trying to uh find a way of cheating the system or you know, not doing everything they can for their employees. And, and it's far from the truth, right? I mean, especially at the small business level. Right. And that's exactly um, it. You know, I, I know a lot of small businesses that, uh, that will, my goodness, that they pay their employee before they pay themselves. That's correct. I was a small business owner and that was exactly right. I can't tell you how many times every two weeks would come around. I had just nothing enough left for you, nothing left for me, but I covered my payroll. Right. <laughs> and you had all the risk. I had all the risk. That's correct. Um, so this recent campaign, um, why now, you know, what do you expect to, to come of it? How can folks help? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, Joe. I mean, and Elaine chime in here, but I think the environment couldn't be better. Um, when you hear a lot of the challenges, obviously we're in a, you know, a season here of, uh, we're going to be looking at a new president soon. Um, and there's a lot of conversation about what is the right way to continue to move our country forward, Right. Um, and from our perspective, again, that opportunity economy and all the principles that come with it is the right way to move this country forward. Um, so again, I think from a, uh, f- from a timing perspective, uh, this is re- very, uh, very important that we do this now because of the presidentials. And I don't know if Elaine, you want to chime in on this part. I, I do. Um, our mission is about educating the public and policymakers, um, employees, especially this gives us, um, a megaphone this year, especially to help employees, um, the public in general, because we have a strong social media um, outreach as well, um, understand these policies. Um, Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, we're helping um, small business owners um, have a megaphone to talk about the issues that are hurting their small business. But on the other hand, we're providing them the tools, the educational tools to help their employees understand how they can actually protect their own livelihoods and be better informed uh, voters. Yeah. We, at our little small business, Embassy National Bank, it's hard to think of a bank as a small business, but we are just just like anybody else. And we, we try to talk about the the uh, compliance issues out there. And we're, for example, we've stayed away from any type of consumer lending product because the regulation and regulatory environment for consumer lending is largely unknown right now. Um, they're still making up new rules under Dodd-Frank. And um, so we're We've kind of put that on hold, and we're not taking a lot of risks there um, at a time when, you know, it would be good for the economy that if we did. So we're mostly focused over on the small business side and helping individuals as we can, but it's certainly not a focus item because of the cost of compliance. Right. And, Joe, that's probably the biggest concern. Those who probably could help the economy the greatest and get people employed and get people back in track are the ones who are taking the least amount of risk because they can't afford to take mm-hmm. those risks, right? It's the large corporations that really truly have the profits that can absorb some of that risk and, and, and just regulatory uncertainty. They're willing to take the risk because they can afford it, right? A small business owner, again, where 70% of the jobs are, mm-hmm. they just can't afford to take those kinds of risks. So they, they aren't, and the, the, our survey showed it, 19%, again, less than one in five say they're gonna hire more people this year. Let's talk about um, one of my favorites, the subject, the whole quantitative easing program that we're just now leaving and um, the low interest rates and that type of thing. I know that I've looked at some numbers and I believe quantitative easing added about $8 trillion to our debt. 
and we really have very little to show for it. Why do you think that is? Because in an environment of $8 trillion of easy money, you would think the economy would be booming right now. So why do you, what has put the skids on all this? I think it comes right back to the overregulation that exists, the overtaxation um, primarily that is keeping it from growing. Even with, to your point, even with that kind of flood of money into the system, when you have those two major factors that are major contributors to, do I invest in my business or not? Do I invest in my people or not? Those two are gonna hold you back because without that clarity, I don't know how anybody can really make a decision to move forward and to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Elaine, have you heard anything out there other than, uh, than what we've just discussed relative to what's held the economy back? Well, I mean, the overregulation is a, is a big issue. And you've got, um, you know, this organization out there, the Fight for 15, trying to increase um, minimum wage to $15 an hour. We're seeing a lot of businesses on the West Coast just literally shut their doors. Um, you know, it's, it's simply not possible. And so on the one hand, you've got small business owners saying, you know, look at my income statement, I can't afford it. But on the other hand, we're going to have a lost generation of children, of young people who don't find jobs because we're going to lose that first rung of the ladder. And so we're going to have an even bigger skills gap than we have. Mm -hmm. So the unintended or intended, depending on who you're talking to, consequences of these increases in minimum wage is going to ripple through the economy on many levels. And that is part of our education as well. We have a big education initiative and a lot of educational materials on the minimum wage side to help people understand who the folks are who who are in these minimum wage jobs. And these are entry-level jobs. Entry-level jobs need entry-level wages. I have a 15-year-old. I love her dearly. She's worth millions of dollars to me, but she's not worth $15 an hour to any employer because she doesn't have any skills yet. But once she learns those skills, she's going to be worth a lot. Well, and and, uh, the driving range, the golf driving range that's four miles down from my house. My son used to work up there. I think he got six bucks an hour to be a ball picker on a Sunday night because, you know, the golf driving range usually mows on Monday, and so they got to pick up every single ball on uh, Sunday night. And so that's what he did. Well, guess what? Um, the owner now has got to work 24 hours a day He's up all night on Sunday picking balls because he can't afford to pay 15 bucks an hour for someone to do ball picking. Right. Um, right. And it's not like the $15 an hour, or the $6 an hour was going to someone who's trying to raise a family of four. It's going to a, a kid like your daughter, my son, who just want a little extra money in his, in his pocket. Right, right. And Joe, if we could spend a couple minutes on, on this minimum wage issue, because I think it's a, it's a really important issue to this country. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, I think business owners have probably done themselves a disservice by not really providing the rationale or the context of that fight for 15. Mm-hmm. Um, always tend to say is it's a bad thing, right? But as Elaine said, entry-level wages, first and foremost, need entry-level jobs. Excuse me, entry-level jobs need entry-level wages, right? And when you look at who is actually filling those entry-level jobs, it primarily is our youth of today, right? 2024 and under. We went actually to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the latest one that came out, 2014, where they did an analysis of the the minimum wage, again, which we call entry-level wages. When you really isolate it down, you have, and, and you 
exclude those people who are actually making less than minimum wage because that's the whole tip credit and all that stuff. And if you think about it, on average, they're somewhere between 10 and $11 per hour. Mm-hmm. So they're doing actually considerably better than, than most other folks that are quote unquote making the minimum wage. When you look at the 77.2 million people in this country that are getting paid minimum wage, 1.2 million are actually getting paid at the minimum wage level, right? So again, if you think about that, that's less than 3%. It's like 2% or something like that is the number, right? So relatively speaking, it's a small number. When we look at those folks who are 20, let's say 24 or 25 and over, who are making that's about 551,000 people. So, and I'm not saying it's it's not an issue, right? Because I asked, why are those people who are 25 and over, let's say who are 25, 35, 40 in these entry-level jobs making entry-level wages? They shouldn't be, right? The reason why they're there is because there's a skills issue. Right, but if you have 551,000 people, we can manage that issue sure. without having to upend an entire system because it's not just those entry-level wages that are gonna get impacted. Now you've got all the, all the other wages all the way up because it's called wage compression, right? I mean, right. that is the issue because that manager who is making 15 bucks an hour is gonna say, now I want $25 an hour. So it's not just a $15 per hour issue. And the thing is, is we only really have about 500 or some odd thousand people that we should address through skills training. Let's identify those people. Let's put together some kind of quasi-public-private uh, enterprise or, or partnership where we can help get those people out of those jobs, out of those entry-level jobs, into, into positions and to wages that are really going to provide maximum value and maximum opportunity for them and their family and for society. And it actually frees up those jobs for our youth. What is the, um, I guess, the participation rate in the 24 under group? You know, that's that's a great. I I I'm not don't know the number off the top of my head on that one. Um, but but I think it's the last I looked at the labor force participation rate of that group is is not at all good, and it's much worse than what we currently have overall on a national level. It but is I don't our have younger people are being hurt in this economy. Yeah, they are. Folks coming out of college, yeah. um, our youth is being hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, youth are. unemployment is really bad, especially in our urban areas. And again, that's the concern, right? Governments can mandate wages all they want, but they can't mandate a company to stay open and lose money. Um, let's go back to the Jobs Act. You remember the Jobs Act? Uh, under Bill Clinton? Yeah. That's correct. It's supposed to do a lot of different things. Did it? Was it? Did it happen? I mean, that's where crowdfunding got started and all these other things. Did that... Um, did that ever have the impact that it, they wanted it to? Do you want to talk to the, uh, under Bill Clinton? Would, you know, know, I'm not as familiar with that. Yeah, I'm, and I don't know if it was actually the, I thought it was a Jobs Act, and I thought what it did was it allowed, um, it, it came forward with the crowdfunding concept and those things. That, that's where all this kind of popped out of. And I think it there were some benefit, but mm-hmm. I don't think it had the benefit that it did because... Right. At the small business owners got to feel like if I invest money, I have at least a chance of success. Right, right. Yeah, and I know recently there's been some relief on the whole crowdfunding piece, uh, both at a state and national mm-hmm. level. Um, and I think, you know, if there's one very positive thing the administration has done is they've actually, re- they, they kind of eased up a little bit on the regulation on that. Um, that is actually very helpful for small business owners to start a business. So that's actually been a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I, if I recall correctly under Clinton, the, the, the jobs act, at least under him was actually probably very focused on skills training, try to get folks who didn't have the right skills to get out of it. I mean, the scary numbers, Joe, is when you think about, and you, Elaine, you mentioned education, 
right? We have a massive education gap versus a skills gap that's required. One of the initiatives we're kicking off is the 100 Cubed Education Initiative. We call it demand-driven education. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you look at our customers, the CEOs, the business leaders of today, and the skill sets that they're requiring versus what the machinery of our education system is here, the roughly 45 million kids that go through a public education system in this country, right? We have a massive skills gap uh, there. We have no, 5.8 million jobs. Too. I heard, of, um, I talked to a um, welder and he had six open positions. That's correct. Willing to pay 25 bucks an hour. Couldn't right. find anybody to fill them. Right now, Joe, at this point, we have about 5.8 million unfilled jobs in this country. 5.8 million. And when you look, though, and take a step back and add up what we're spending to educate our kids of today, for example, in public systems, and then also what companies are spending for training, combined, it's almost $1.2 trillion per year. Mm. Now, when you spend $1.2 trillion on basically educating a workforce and you have 5.8 million unfilled jobs, something's not right. No, I agree with that. And, and um, I, I think we try, to, we try to shove everybody through the same tube. And right. um, that's one of the big fallacies in this world about regulation and, and uh, that type of thing is that everybody's the same. But we're not. Right. We're all different. Some are smarter. Some aren't. Some are more hardworking, some aren't. Uh, some have a better capability of learning and some don't. Some people grasp onto certain things and they don't grasp onto other things, but we want to shove them through the same pipe. Right, right. And it's just not working. Right. Well, and it's interesting, I mean, and not to get too far off of the, the topic at hand, but just to spend a couple more minutes on education. That right? is a huge part I mean, of it. I mean, it really does, right? Because it's part of the machine, right? That that as job owners, right, right as job creators, we're looking for the skill set. And but if you look at it overall, right, in terms of what that output is, right, it, it is just a mismatch. Uh, you know, I think Coca Cola does a great job of this. There's there's a motto basically, which is think, uh, uh, excuse me, think think global, act local. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an opportunity, even our education system. We, I think we do try to centralize things and centralize control in DC. Um, but there's a lot of different ways that I think we can approach that. And I know there's been a lot of conversation about Common Core is it good? Is it bad? You know, and standards is, they sh- is it good? Is it bad? I take a step back and as a parent of a 10 year old, I say expectations, mm-hmm. right? What are our expectations? What's my expectation as a parent that when she graduates, right, from high school, She's going to have a job or at least an opportunity for a job or an opportunity to advance, right? It's not just, here you go, here's your paper, good luck, right? And we just don't have that. Again, when we have 5.8 million unfilled jobs right now and spending $1.2 trillion educating, what's wrong? There's plenty of money in the system to fix it. We're just not fixing it. We've only got like five more minutes. I can't, you know, as I told you before the show, it just flies by, but, um, I want to get off. I want to talk a little bit about a subject near and dear to my heart, and that is the uh, when you talk to young people today, very energetic, um, hard charging, smart young people. You throw the word capitalism at them, and they they just recall. They hate the word, and I think it's because we have polluted capitalism to something that we now call crony capitalism, to where everybody's. Uh, they've learned how to play the game. So now everybody's kind of in it with each other, and it's us against them in a lot of cases. Now, you talk about developing an open economy. What is your phrase for that? Which the, I opportunity, think is just the, opportunity the opportunity economy. The opportunity economy. That's correct. 
And I think that's what we need to be thinking about is creating a fair opportunity for an economy to flourish. Right, right. And I think, Elaine, chime in on this, but you know, I think even greater now than an issue of quote unquote crony politics is actually crony, pol- excuse me, not crony capitalism, it's crony politics. And it's all intertwined, um, yeah. And, and that is the unfortunate part here is the growth of the political class is really, I think, the, the real issue at hand. But going back to this idea of opportunity economy, I mean, Elaine, I know we've spent a lot of time trying to develop our talking points in terms of how we want to talk about this because millennials view capitalism as bad. And, and unfortunately, oh, because they don't understand, they it. don't understand it. Right. Which goes back to our education program as well. Yeah. I mean, millennials are an interesting group because they're out there um, creating businesses and um, very um, I- interesting new types of businesses that we've not seen. I mean, this generation is just amazing to us um, and they're making profits and um, it's almost still a bad word to them. Um, profits are a good thing and we need to tell people that they are and and employers need to educate their their employees um, that profits are a good thing and explain to them what they do with those profits. They grow their business. Mm-hmm. They create more jobs and more jobs creates more paychecks. More paychecks creates more taxes. Right. Um, the more money we have in our pockets, the more we buy. It's it's a it's a domino effect and the economy goes round and round what what struck me was um i saw a a documentary that uh a group put together and and admittedly you know the things they showed are just bad things not nothing that i support this was had to do with the garment industry and and uh you know paying people 10 bucks a month under horrible conditions no, that's just not right. But what was really interesting about that film was at the end, they they focused in on a couple of people and, you know, how are we going to do this going forward? And what they described was an open economy. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really capitalism that Adam Smith envisioned when he first came up with it. So we're almost, you're talking about the millennial, you're almost getting back to a model that is open where everybody, you know, receives according to how much they want to put into this thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I find that fascinating how we're kind of circling all the way back. Right. But yet we're defining it something differently. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know we're kind of coming to, to a close to the segment here. Um, I think we've talked a lot about education and just going back to what we do, the primary piece, the employer to employee education program. One thing, Joe, I urge all of your listeners to be able to do is go to our website, jobcreatorsnetwork.com, sign up. It's an easy process. If they want, if any one of the listeners who are business owners, job creators want to participate and do this program, it's absolutely free. Every single thing that we do for any of these business owners is free. Um, We have some folks who just fundamentally believe in the free enterprise system, the opportunity economy and help fund the organization so that we can provide the service to any business owner for free. So and it's that website Net- again is? JobCreatorsNetwork.com. Okay, good. And um, and it's there is a lot of interesting things. And just so everybody knows, it is nonpartisan. It's just very educational. That's correct. And extremely eye-opening because, again, the goal is not to have you not to have people vote for somebody is to get people to vote intelligently that's correct joe and joe um if folks want to actually see the uh, educational content we have a separate website it's called informationstation.org we're very well done by the way thank you thank you so um i encourage everybody to uh and uh to 
to take advantage of these resources. And I know our listening audience, they're going to, they'll probably tap their head and go, I'm glad someone's taking this on. Well, somebody had to. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, um, thank you all for, for thank being you, on. Um, and that's our show for today. This has been On The Money. Again, the number one small business radio show on Business Radio X. We're, we're um, presented by Embassy National Bank, uh, FDIC insured institution. Be sure to follow us on on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. And uh, you can uh, listen to our stuff uh, at onthemoney.businessradiox.com. We're available for free on iTunes. And we're also out there on YouTube, so you can see the video of this as well. And um, I wasn't sure about the video portion of this, but I think it's worked out extremely well. So, by the way, kudos to you guys. Anyway, I'm Joe Moss with Embassy National Bank. And as we say every time, leave fear in the back seat, even though it's difficult these days, but leave it in the back seat. Keep that entrepreneurial fire burning. There are people out there working hard for you. And then finally, be careful out there because uh, it'll trip you up if you're not careful. So with that, that's our show. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you next time.